All right. Back with Theology Refs Part 2. So we opened up and it kind of explained what our purpose was with doing these and why we were doing it. So now we're jumping into the actual sermon here of of Elevation Church, uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick's sermon series, Savage Jesus. And uh, Travis is here with me and we, uh, we, Travis picked out a sermon called You Must Be Important to Do. So we're going to. We're going to be working on that and going through that today. But um, a funny story real quick to start off uh, that Alexis just uh, told of a Paul Watcher quote. I don't want to I don't want to destroy it. So I'll go ahead and let Travis tell it. though. How did it go? All right. So this is in context. He's talking about the holiness of God, understanding our nature of sin. And at one point in his his message, he literally goes 99 percent pure. One percent sewer. I'm not drinking. And the idea being, listen, if even a slight amount of corruption is there, it's the whole thing is corrupt. So, uh, you know, we want to examine these things in light of God being holy. We want to examine these things in how is Christ exalted. And if you uh, listen to our first one, you know, uh, the reason we picked this one out again was simply because we wanted to give Stephen Furtick a, a good chance. You know, this is a, this is about Jesus. Um, it's kind of hard to find a good title that even says Jesus in the title. I I don't couldn't really find one right off. The Which bat. was our first red flag, right? But I said, okay, well, there's the Savage Jesus sermon series. I think it's about twelve uh, different sermons, and there is a few guest speakers in that mix as well. Um, but hey, if the focus is meant to be on Jesus, okay, let's let's see what what does a church like this say? How how do they preach and teach Jesus from the pulpit? And so that's kind of why we wanted to address this. And yes, we did uh, mention savage. You know, we didn't agree with the, that word. It has negative connotations. Um, so we, we didn't speak about that. And then we also demonstrated in the last one uh, as more of an introduction, the fact that this is, um, you know, he, he's, he takes the story and tries to plug you in at every single point. And with the title, it does say you must be important because literally the focus of the story is you, is you, Uh, not Christ. Mm -mm. You know, again, he will at points give mention. He may throw in something that is, hey, I can agree with for that short little sentence. But again, it's like the focus immediately turns from Christ being exalted to you. And so with that, uh, we're going to dive into this. Yes, the sermon is about 40. If you, if you watch the video, it's about 47 minutes with about a 30-second end where they're just inviting you to subscribe yeah. and watch more. And we'll go through. We're going to go through various parts here where we threw our most flags. But before we start, and another addition that I wanted to make of why we're doing this, this has also got me motivated earlier this week. Apologia Studios last year, it, yeah, it was just almost a year ago now, um, did a whole uh, series on Furtick and Elevation Church. And um, Luke from Apologia had a, a clip that I just podcasted on a couple days ago um, that they did when they were talking about Furtick and Elevation. Luke straight, he called it out, plain as day. He's like, this is a false gospel a false Christ, and this man is leading people to hell. This is a Christ that cannot save you. This is a this is a false gospel. This is not true. And he called it 
for what it is. And he said that that's a problem is that we have no problem calling out guys like Olstein or, or Joyce Meyer, you know, just obvious hair. But then when we get to this, it's like, whoa, 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 we can't touch. We can't touch this. So I completely agreed with that statement. I'm like, no, we must stay consistent like this. And this is now in mainstream evangelical Christianity. And unfortunately, this is this needs to cause a lot of people to to search the spirit within themselves to to make sure that they have oil in their lamps, because this type of gospel, if you believe this type of gospel, if you're living this type of gospel, this is a false gospel that cannot save. That's not to say that there's not saved people in this. I don't know. I'm not the final judge of that. I don't claim to be. But this gospel is a gospel that will lead you down a dark, dark path. And Fertick is a false teacher that knows better. This isn't innocent. This isn't his interpretation of the Bible. This is something that Travis and I are going to try to point out that this is not innocent, that he knows what he's doing here. And I think that that's going to come through in this series as well, is that it's not, you know, it's not something like we're just picking on him or picking on his interpretation. We really believe that this is dangerous. And I think it's time that we start seriously calling these things out for what they are. I mean, we're going to call it on on the other other direct you know heretics we might as well you know it's when we hear things like we heard in here we'll go over i think it, it fits him very well unfortunately absolutely yeah and with that too we um we're not you know we're not going to play the entire 40 no no minutes. uh that would take forever um and one you know I'm sure you can easily find it. Uh, the viewing itself has now, I think, 890,000 views. Yep. Uh, I started Smart. at 867,000 views when I was recording this over the last. Yeah, we might be we might be responsible for about a few thousand of those. No, not that many. Maybe five. <laughs> okay. um, but yeah, no, it's but it it's serious, and this is this is global. Yeah. 1.1 million subscribers. This is a huge ordeal, and these are people that oftentimes are not trained up. They, they have not known what true biblical teaching and preaching looks like. And so, of course, you know, and, and as we mentioned last time, you know, Furtick is a, is a great speaker. Uh-huh. He is very energetic. He knows how to control the stage. He knows how to move about and really amp up the crowd. And as I mentioned before in the, the previous one, uh, in my notes, I even wrote amp. Every time he gets hyped up and you'll even notice the music starts playing in the background. Mm. It's, it's an emotional, emotional hype. This is where it's so dangerous. And these people get caught up in this and they go, oh, this sounds amazing. This is what I needed. When you read the comments, my heart breaks. Uh, even mm. to the point where you see people saying, how, I, how can I understand the Bible like this man? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, you don't. But, I, said, I said on, on, the, on the one that we did... Uh, kind of leading up to this one that I did with Heidi, I said that I don't care if your grandma got saved and you've been off drugs sober for 10 years. This, this didn't do it for you. You got emotionally excited about something, unfortunately, that's false. And that's, that's what it is. That's not, this isn't, I, I, you know, praise God you're off drugs and your grandma's okay. But that doesn't make you a Christian, and this doesn't make a gospel that can save. So 
that that was that's a real concern reading these comments because again i'm not the one that's picking out what your salvation is but this man or this this doctrine that he's preaching is not a doctrine that can save and this is the this is the kind of thing that these that you know that they cry lord lord and he doesn't know them so this is this is really really dangerous but all right, so to begin with, again, the, the sermon title is You Must Be Important. In fact, right off the bat, he's going to say, turn your neighbor and say, you must be important, and then why. Um, he does lead into the intro for the first, up to the about minute three, where he's just saying, hey, what, what is my uh, urgency versus importance? What are, what are our priorities? What does that look like in light of God? He does mention at 2.30, I need to know. I know I need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but I don't always know what that looks like. And so with that, one of our first big red flags, as you will, is when we get to about minute three. So we're going to play that here real quick and we'll point out why. Equally, to me, equal priorities, because I know that I need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I don't always know what that looks like in this moment, because... My role in the kingdom consists of multiple roles. So on one level, I am a pastor who needs to prepare a sermon. On another level, I am a dad with a kid who wants to throw the football. And I know you think that you're more important than my son's desire to throw a football. But the fact of the matter is, you know, if I dropped dead, there'd be another preacher standing here this weekend. But he's only got one dad. It's true. That was my first major major red flag that he was saying i mean it doesn't sound bad right i mean you, you i mean just as a normal conversation that you're having you know your kids are of course your priority and hey you know work is definitely um most of the time in most people's lives a priority over their children and yes that's a problem but this is coming from a pastor the shepherd of the flock okay, he is he is saying that his child is more important than his flock which be that as it may the 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 statement that he is making to his flock saying oh i know you think that you are all important more important than my kid but you're not and this is the exact statement that he's making to his flock this is a horrible statement for the shepherd of a of the flock to make i mean in that we are to especially as a leader and a a pastor in the church you are to teach these things and this is this is who you are you are a man of god before everything else that includes your family that never that never pauses to go play football i mean that you you take that with you that's deuteronomy 11:19 wherever you go and you teach this so that was that was my my huge. I, I know it 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 probably doesn't sound to the listeners like it's a huge deal. It, you know, it was laughed off, and the, even the crowd was amen, amen. But it's that was just a horrible statement uh, for me. I just that one really made me uncomfortable. Well, and it also shows the fact that you know where is his priority in the sense of sermon prep. Uh, I mean, right. I don't know, and I can't say for sure what he does during the week. 
Uh, I mean, as large of a church as that is, I'm sure they have staffed counselors. I'm sure they have staffed uh, many other people doing many different things. So what is he doing? If all he is doing is getting up as this celebrity preacher to preach on Sunday, uh, and I'm sure he travels too. I know he does for sure. But this is literally his attitude towards speaking for God. That's the seriousness of this. And this is why Brandon and I both are just like almost appalled at this. Like, hey, I get your kid should be important. But in my opinion, okay, throw the football and then study all night long. Right. Burn the midnight oil. Paul says in much sleeplessness, he preached all day to where even a guy's fallen out a window and dying. He goes and resurrects and continues (laughs) preaching. There is an importance to this. I mean, this is a soul matter. And so, you know, even James 3, 1, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. Yep. If he really thought about that, this would be a, oh, listen, son, yeah, let me throw football, but tonight I, I need to study because I need to speak what the Word of God says. I need to know this in and, in and out. Um, so this just shows, you know, his, his view of teaching through scripture and preaching. And that's where, again, this was a big red flag right off the bat. Um, so we're going to continue. I think back real quick on that. I think back to um, a person like I heard Ann Graham and during Billy Graham's funeral telling a story about how her daddy would make the, the kids come and sit down no matter what they were doing, and he would just make them listen to him preach. That's how he practiced. He sat his kids down and preached to his kids and made them listen like five, six, seven times, you know, a week, just practicing his sermons for Sunday. So it's funny hearing this come out of Furtick's mouth, like, whoa, whoa, whoa you know, I got to go play football. I don't, I, I don't got time for this. And yes, that's paraphrasing what he said. That's not giving him the benefit of the doubt, but that's basically what he said. And then we have, in contrast, a person like Billy Graham who was, um, you know, prepping for sermons and preaching them to his family. So I think that's the kind that's the kind of contrast that I'm making here of of two obviously separate men of God, but one is uh, incredibly a false teacher. So moving along, uh, basically he's just going to talk about God having different set of priorities uh, until we get to about minute 420. Now this isn't a red flag, but we just want to give a honest view of this sermon. So beginning at 420, he's basically going to give a summation of why he's preaching this sermon. And so we're going to listen to that here. In Mark's gospel, we are going to study today briefly a story that he thought was important to include to give us a full picture of Jesus as we're coming to know him, savage Jesus. It's been shocking to us some of the priorities that Jesus had and how much different those priorities are than maybe what we would have expected when we see. All right. So, again, that's just what he's saying is he's keeping in line with this idea of uh, priorities. But then he goes into, again, pulling this back into the Savage Jesus sermon series. So he is saying, yeah, Mark's gospel. We're going to study briefly a story. But. This is where he begins to build a narrative outside of the actual narrative. Um, And that's where we're going to start getting a lot of big red flags. And we're going to point these out as we continue along. Um, Because again, he's already saying, okay, Jesus had a certain priority here. 
And this is how we're going to come to know him as Savage Jesus. And again, I hate using that phrase. Um, how about holy, awesome, something other than savage? Yeah, yeah, plenty of better other ways to refer to him other than savage. But you're right. He's he's literally going to take Mark 5 here and part of Mark 4 and create his own literal world around this. It, this is what he's doing with this story. None of the story that he tells here is anything that has anything to do with what the story was about. He says some true things in this, but this none of what this the story again, none of what the story was about does he acknowledge and he builds his own narrative off of this. And this is the problem with with just taking this cuz Travis and I both were reading this and we're like this is not what this means. Like this is not what this story is all about. This is the problem with just taking stories like this and just, I mean, you can do anything. You can make it, you, literally anything, and he does with this. And, yeah, so we'll we'll continue on. Uh, the next point I wanted to get at was he does say some, some good things here in the way of, of teaching. He's got some correct information here. Um, the, and I think that's part of the problem because he sprinkles in a little bit of truth and knowledge and good information and then just builds this false story off of off of a couple little you know true things all right so here let's play the rest of this clip here and see what he says see him stopping to heal a woman in mark 5 21 and following on his way to heal a little girl we are shocked confounded and in in some ways challenged because the one he was going to heal was the daughter of someone who was important. His name was Jairus. He was a synagogue leader. The woman who came up behind Jesus isn't even given a name. Nobody really cared about women like that in this culture. He stops en route to the miracle that is more important and more urgent because the little girl has hours to live. In fact, while he stops to heal this unimportant woman, the important girl dies. Jesus isn't concerned about this because he is healer, yes, also he is resurrection. His priority in this moment is to show the people a deeper revelation of who he is. The only way for him to give them this revelation of the power of his presence is to upset their priorities and stop for something that they see as less important. So that when he gets to the scene which was more important, the little girl is already dead. This provides an opportunity for him to do something that he couldn't have done if he had gone according to their priorities. Sometimes God will upset your priorities to show you his power in a new way. And I All right. <laughs> so again, I mean, you've you got an example because we want to be yeah. fair. We want to show, hey, yeah, there are things he's going to say. Because this is, this is what makes this so dangerous, is the fact that he knows what he's talking about. You can tell he has at least an understanding of the culture. He has an understanding of what's going on. Um, but even in this, so he's actually pulling from later in Mark chapter 5 to build his, his sermon around priorities and yeah. importance. But then he's going to back up. But then he's going to back up. So he, he's not even teaching forward. He's going backwards. 
again, because, and this is, this goes to um, eisegesis, which we mentioned last time, <laughs> is where you're taking a passage and you're actually plugging a meaning into it. Yep. Now, he didn't necessarily do that here. He's still summing up what seems to be his previous sermon uh, with, the, you know, Jairus' daughter. And yeah, it all sounds great. And, you know, I can even agree at 535 when he says he's healer. Yes, he's also resurrection. Resurrection, yeah, it was a great statement. Yay and amen. Yeah. But then you go into down towards uh, minute six, seven and stuff where he starts talking about, well, Jesus couldn't, couldn't. do these things if he was following your priorities. Well, ooh, that's whoa, 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 that, that's dangerous. Like, I, I understand that that's not directly what he's saying, but you're saying that he couldn't have not. De- that's, there's, I mean, first of all, there's nothing that he can't do. I mean, that's Luke one thirty seven. There's nothing that God cannot do. But he doesn't need our priorities, our timing, or anything to have this done. So to build your point of, of, of showing your, your order of priorities off of Jesus by, and saying that, you know, you couldn't have done if his priorities weren't because of you. No, you don't, you're not that important. That's what we should have titled this. Is you're not that important. That's why Galatians 6.3, if someone thinks that he is something when he isn't, he deceives himself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with that, um, as he continues on, he's going to essentially continue talking about priorities. Uh, he gets into a quick little section about uh, proving the presence of God. Um, honestly, you know, he tries to say in, in 6.58, what proves the presence of God in my life is when my priorities align with his Um well, the presence uh-huh. of God. It, 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 again, this is a, a central focus. This is where man-centered becomes the problem when it should be God-centered. Um, you know, that's what do you mean? Presence of God is when my priorities are aligned. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of non-believers that have certain priorities in line that God would certainly agree with, but that sure. doesn't make His presence there. Um, nah. So Absolutely. again, that's where you get these things. And you'll even find later on he's going to say, well, God is with us. God's presence is here multiple times. It's like, wh- Where? make that claim. Yeah. That's another red flag in my mind. But Yeah. That- um, so he actually, he doesn't even get into his current passage until uh, minute 715. Uh, and then he's going to give a quick little brief about, you know, oh, well, how does Mark set his priorities? How would he decide what to write on? He has to choose a theme around minute eight. Uh, all Gospels have a theme but here's here's never nine. Mike Mark got his gospel from Peter, so it's it, I mean not not that anybody cares about that, but he tries to make this story around Mark too. And yes, Mark did write this, and yes, did have a thing, and yes, did have a reason for writing it. But also, this was Peter really later in life telling Mark to write this as well. So that was just something that he left out that I thought was a, kind of odd but i guess it doesn't matter well and even at minute okay i got marked at 805 uh he says all gospels have a theme marks is to show the authority of jesus i can agree with that yeah that's a true that that sounds about right yeah so then he's going to go into this next passage again he's backing up now um he's actually going to begin uh at mark 5 1 i believe well, this is funny because he we, we just talked about how in, in Luke, you know, with just the comment with the priorities and he couldn't do... And then we're going to go ahead and talk about Mark's gospel being the reason for the divinity of God or, or proving the divinity of of Jesus. Well, then if that was his point, then there would this, this whole sermon would have been a lot different if you would have paid attention to that point. 
I mean, because he, right. he obviously does it with the points that we're going into here. Um, and my um, uh, Travis and both of mine, major, major red flags are coming up. So, uh, And so if we move up to, uh, and again, he'll, he'll actually begin reading. So he does read from the scriptures. At least he does that. I can appreciate that. Uh, at uh, minute 8.55, it's when he begins Mark 5, beginning in verse 1, he reads 1 through 4. Um, to about the ninth minute and 20 seconds. And then he stops to give a point. And here's one that I think we should look at real quick um, is beginning around 9.22 and then moving in to, this is where we get into the buzzwords. Again, we mentioned this before. A lot of these pastors and stuff, they're going to use buzzwords that just sound cool, but ugh, it, it rubs me the wrong way. All right, this next clip too that we're going to be playing is when we, like I said, this is where we first start seeing our major major red flags and we really see where he starts to begin to twist the gospel here this is where he he begins to twist it because he builds this whole what if like travis was saying buzzword like just to get your attention this is where he starts building his whole narrative that is built off his own personal uh interpretation with this this is not what the text is trying to convey at all what he's going to and we'll go ahead and talk about what the text is saying after we listen to this clip but leading it up um this is this is the first major major problem because he he tells the story uh about the demon possessed man uh and how jesus uh tells the demons to come out and we'll we'll, we'll play the whole thing here but uh just leading you up for that to that Okay, so those who are following along, Mark 5, 1 through 4 again, just so you have a, a picture of what's going on. This is uh, Jesus with the disciples arriving on the other side, other, other shore. And uh, this is in the land of the Gerasenes, and immediately there is a demon-possessed man. Uh, we're going to find out his name later, but uh, and essentially it sum up, sums up who this man was. You know, they tried to tie him up with chains. He would break the chains. Nothing could hold him. So this leads right into what Stephen's about to say one was strong enough to subdue him and this is where we need a savage jesus sweetheart jesus can't help this man cutie pie jesus can't bless this guy with a little cliche ichthus on the back of your car jesus jewelry jesus around your neck can't do anything about this situation but you might come to a point in your life where you've lost sight of who you are and whose you are and in those moments you don't want a little puny jesus who stands over on the side and waits till you rub your hands together and pull him out the bottle on christmas and easter or when you decide to bless him with your presence at church no in those moments you're going to want a strong savior with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm i'm talking about a savage jesus somebody shout i got a great big god Night and day, verse five. Oh boy. Um, see how already he's got you sucked in to this. He he started in the beginning with this. Go and touch your neighbor. Now it's this. I need a great big God. He's he's building the story up like like a movie trailer, like it, for this own movie that he's creating with this. Go ahead. Oh, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have too much more than the fact that, he, again, he was using those buzzwords. He's trying to make 
a point, but that was over 30 seconds of trying to, I don't, I don't know, use these words to just make you feel good. Make, I, don't I, know, think I, can building, I think he's building his audience here. This right. is for this ultimate climax. Cause you notice we'll, we'll, as we go through it here, he just gets more uppity all through the whole sermon. But right at 942, and this is where, again, we want to point out, he says, might come to a point in your life where you lost sight of who you are and whose you are. But, again, this is in relation to this demonic man. And we're going to find out later, you also apparently are the demonic man. Which... Yeah. So, but, but you see what he's doing. Mm, that's, yeah. that's why this it's is like, dangerous. oh, you got to listen, you got to pay attention. So why is he putting the focus on us? He's using these buzzwords again. So we're going to continue on. Uh, he is going to read through Mark 5 and Mark 6. Uh, he points out in Mark 6, it's interesting. Um, but at 10.33, this is where he's going to point out something, and this is where he builds his narrative. First time he saw Jesus, not the first time Jesus saw him. And he's going to go back into 10.38, around the minute 10.38, and say Jesus was in Capernaum. And over here where, where this, this guy is, it's a Gentile region. Yeah. That's accurate. Um, but then he says around minute 11, he's talking about how sound travels. So Jesus could have been up on the mountain one night hearing this man cry out. Right. So, so now Jesus is responding to this man. This man is crying out. And oh, guess what? You're also crying out. You see how he's starting to make this narrative about us? And that is a narrative that is not in there. Jesus yeah, no. knows the heart of man, certainly. God knows all things, certainly. But to say that Jesus specifically went across because this man was crying out. No, he was also crying out because he was demon-possessed. How do we know it wasn't the demons crying out to right. scare away the people? Like, like this, this is where... This is a build-up for his false, his false narrative that right. he's building here. Because his first saying is, what if? What if Jesus heard this guy... Well, and we'll play that clip because he literally says, what if this is why Jesus did this? We know exactly why Jesus did this. I have no idea why you're trying to build a narrative. Well, of course I do. You're a false teacher. But why you're building a narrative off of a story that, that, that tells a complete different story. This story of, of, of the, the demon-possessed man, and, and it's very, very interesting, especially the fact that it, it shows that the demon somewhat disobeyed Jesus at first because it, it's in the context of saying that he told them to come out, and then he had to ask him his name. He's like, well, wait a minute. what? You didn't listen the first time? So there's there's enough interesting things in this to not build a false narrative off of. But he builds this false narrative to make this an idol of self and turns this on to you and puts you in the story and makes this all about you. And that's what this whole our, our, our whole main complaint with this is he says this at least 100 times during this thing. You must be important. This is all for you. This must be, you must be important. And again, we're nothing. And if we're going to boast in anything, we're going to boast in Christ, not in ourselves. Right. So that begins around minute 11, I would say 07 is where he's going to sum this up. Uh, and again, I did mention at 11, right at 11, he says, he's talking about how sound travels at night and across water. Um, but we're going to play this clip just as Brandon was pointing out. And he's gonna, you're going to see it. He's going to turn it right back to you, the listener, with yeah. his narrative now. In night, there's a good chance Jesus would have been up early while the man was up late. And while the man was up late crying, 
Jesus was up late praying. And maybe one morning after hearing the man cry one more time, Jesus decided today is the day for me to make my way toward this man and set him free. Could it be that God has heard your cry and he has heard the secret petitions and disappointments of your heart and he had you log on or show up today because today is the day that he came to see about you. When you thought no one else was listening and you thought you were all alone, could it be that he heard you and now… How many times did he say maybe, if, perhaps? building this whole narrative on this this is this is a huge problem we know exactly and jesus didn't we know exactly why he went over why he did this i mean in all most of this was to fulfill prophecy right and even as he pointed out in the beginning he said the <laughs> this the point of mark's gospel was to show the authority of christ right so he was going to go demonstrate his authority. And yet, how many times in the Gospels, too, do we hear, it was not my time? Right. Everything Jesus did had a specific time and purpose. This wasn't a maybe. This yeah. wasn't a Jesus just suddenly deciding. Yeah, like, oh, uh, today's uh, the yeah, day. Yeah, today I'm going to cross over with my disciples, and we're going to free this man because of the man. And then again, he points it right back to you. Well, see, you came here, and you're listening today because you're going to be freed. Is it, Really? Is that how this works? Well, let's find out. So, yeah, how this ama amazing display of divinity, how God in the flesh can can do this, is all of a sudden about me. I don't. That's it's horrible. All right. Um, all right. So we just heard that he's going to continue. Then uh, moving through minute twelve, he's going to read from Mark five six and Mark five seven. Uh, he'll take a brief hiatus and talk about how our first response to God will often be fear. Um, how about the Holy Spirit changes us? We have a love for God. But continuing on, he's going to he's going to read through Mark five eight. Um, he talks about how Jesus challenged the spirit. Spirit within the man resisted the challenge of Jesus around twelve fifty five. Um, and then he gives it, you know, explains this is enemy occupying territory. The enemy will fight. But he says something interesting around 1312. Jesus asks for revelation, not info, because he knows all things. So he is giving credit to the fact that Jesus does know all things. But even this narrative that he's building does not seem consistent with that, as we just pointed out with this whole maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, and he's, <laughs> and then it's going to go into how he, again, relates the listener to every single character in this. So around 1317, uh, Furtick talks about how Jesus asked the man because he might know, or the man might know who Jesus is, but this man apparently doesn't know who he is. Jesus asks his name, and the man responded, you know, my name is Legion, but he's going to spin that off into, well, do you know who you are? Right? It's like, again, why are you plugging us back into this? He'll continue on Mark 5, 9, and 10 as he's reading. Uh, he does sum up and describe, you know, the demons beg Jesus not to leave. He'll talk about how this gets more bizarre. You know, the Bible is more bizarre than give credit around 1348, continuing on. Yeah, that bothered me. He does point out again that Jesus is in Gentile region around minute 14. And as he reads through 512 and 513, 513 is where... You know, they're cast into the pigs, and now he's going to make another interesting point because, like I said, he's going to try and plug you in as every character try to relate you to everything because instead of just sticking to what the text says and 
demonstrating there, if he wants to preach on this. He wants to build some great message literally over all the characters and somehow. So we're, <laughs> oh goodness. So we're going to go here and this will start around minute 1423. Okay, you got to leave the man, but you can jump on the pigs. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And I know you're worried right now that I'm going to find a way to preach about this in a way that applies to your life. But trust me, I've been doing this a long time. i got a good track record. And I promise you there is a connection between you and these pigs. And if you give me a few minutes and pay close attention, I'll show you what it is. Verse 4. A connection with the pigs. Ugh. Are you serious? Did he just say that? Yes, he, he did just that. say that. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I mean, he why? just told you how he's going to twist the gospel. He just said that he's going to turn you into everything and apply you to every part of the story. You can't do that, and especially with this. All right. So, moving along in the, in his sermon, yeah, he's going to continue reading through Mark five. He'll actually uh, hit a point where he finishes that passage. <clears throat> And then around minute 1536, after, you know, puffing up the crowd again, you must be important. Touch him and say, can I get your autograph, all this nonsense? Uh, he's going to say, you must be important that Jesus would go through all this trouble to keep an appointment with you. So mm. we're the man now chained up on the other side with, you know, with legion. Um, but then he's going to go, oh, oh, I'm so sorry I messed up. Around 1542, I started reading in the wrong place in the Bible. It happens. I'm sorry. Third time preaching through. I was supposed to start at Mark 435. I started in Mark 5. I can't, and you can't understand Mark 5 without going through 435 through 41. So if you forgive me for slight oversight, going to do what I should have done before. I want to tell you about the storm that came before the miracle. Now that leads into the section where we had actually played in the first one, just the point that he's twisting the scriptures to build a narrative. So again, he's now backing up yet again, again, to preach, not, not because he's teaching you what this is, not because he's exalting Christ, but because he has this, this method of preaching, this narrative that he wants to build up. And so, yeah, there's many things we'd love to point out through this. But So he backs up to Mark 4, 35-41. That's the storm that now, uh, when Jesus is in the boat with the disciples, they're crossing over that night prior. Mm-hmm. And this is where, you know, if you remember, the storm is severe and basically Jesus rebukes the storm. And so, yeah, he talks about how, you know, through 16 through 17, he tries to relate everybody going through a storm. Uh, he even literally says, you know, how many of you are going through a storm in your life? Raise your hand or somebody close to you or relatives, you know, and he even says how easy it is to preach about storms. Um, so he builds this huge thing about the storm uh, and he he try, you know, again, around minute 17, he says, no, he doesn't tell them why. He doesn't say because I've gotten an appointment on the other side. Well, again, this is Stephen's narrative, not yeah, scripture. It's, it has nothing to do. Yeah. So he's going to continue going on. He's going to point out, you know, hey, in minute 17, again, you're you're in this whole section. Uh, he's plugging you back in. You're le- Jesus is leaving the comfort zone of Capernaum. Uh Moving to enemy territory like some of you are doing. You're beginning to move forward. It's like, goodness gracious. Uh, and then he's, he talks about how, let me warn you, when you make God your priority, the enemy will send you a storm. Now, here's the point. 
So again, because now that he's just analogized this whole storm, he's going to now say, well, this storm was actually from Satan. It's going to be like the next 20 minutes of his sermon. And is this storm that apparently Satan didn't want Jesus to get to the other side. It's like, for real? Is that what this is about? And so we're going to get to, as he moves on down, he'll even admit around minute 1936, I preached so many sermons about this storm, and I've told so many people they will survive through the storm they are going through. Again, uh, our days are numbered. You could actually go through a storm where you don't survive, mm-hmm. um, you know, however you want to analogize that storm. But the whole point is when you serve Christ, when you proclaim his name, there are Christians in the world today who would tell you they're going through a heck of a storm yeah. and people are dying. So, again, he's trying to build this narrative to puff up the listener because you're so important. Mm, no, that's not the point. So we're going to get all the way down to minute 20, around 2030, and he's going to point out something here. Uh, so this is interesting. Yep. Because it said Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. Jesus doesn't rebuke natural elements. He rebukes demons. I have to stop right there. I can't let it go any further. I hate to stop and start and stop. But that one statement right there, Jesus doesn't rebuke natural elements. He rebukes demons. That is such an incredibly huge and stupid statement. I mean, reprimand number one, obviously, is to, is to, uh, or I'm sorry, rebuke is obviously to, to reprimand something, to tell it to stop, to calm it down. Start, we think of a storm raging, right? So, yes, Jesus does rebuke. He rebuked Peter for pulling out his sword. Peter, put away your sword. Like, yes, Jesus rebukes things. So rebuking natural element in that statement in itself. I know Travis has a ton of, of Bible verses brought up himself on this. Um, mine that I thought of up the top of my head was Psalm 107 through 31. I'll just go ahead and read it here. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. They evil plight. They railed and staggered like drunken men and were at, were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Okay, yes, he do, the, he was displaying his divinity over his own creation, his divine power over this. It Psalms one hundred seven. I mean, not only that, he was also literally fulfilling a psalm in the meantime. But he he does he has control over his uh, the the creation that he created so it is that's just a profoundly stupid statement to say that Jesus doesn't rebuke something that's especially a storm like that's just ridiculous well right and this the thing is again that sounds awesome and you can even hear the people in the background they're going to start cheering yeah they like, cheer oh, that's that's amazing that's a, and I'll even admit I've heard some decent teachers point this out too and I have to disagree with them and that's where if you ever 
you really need to test these things. So all I did was I plugged rebuke back into the Bible. I did a search and I read through all the passages. And as Brandon pointed out, here's just a few where God is rebuking the elements, not because of some demonic oppression or presence, but simply because that is the term used when God is commanding the elements to do something that is not natural. So uh, here's a few are Psalm 18, 15, which is also in 2 Samuel 22, 16, uh, Job 26, 11, Psalm 106, 9, Isaiah 50, verse 2, and Nahum uh, 1, verse 4. So I'm going to give an example here, Psalm 106. I'll begin in 8 just to give you the context. But here is Psalm 106, 8. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. Thus he rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up. And he led them through the deeps as through the wilderness. So you get that point. It literally says rebuke. Yeah, thus he rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up. (laughs) Uh, were demons keeping the sea at normal levels? That, like, d- does that make any sense? So again, if you take these ideas and you plug it back in to the scriptures, you got to test these things. That makes absolutely no sense. So I can go back to it and just say, yeah, Jesus, again, was demonstrating authority over his creation. All things are created by him and for him. You know, you, you got to understand this. That was an amazing. And I don't remember if it's Mark's gospel or not, but even the disciples seeing this, are afraid more of him now right. than of the storm where they were thinking that they were going to perish. So these are things that he, that if Stephen was doing his job right, he would have pointed these out to the people. The people would have been amazed and seen Christ in his glory. But no, again, he's going to twist the narrative. He's going to build this whole idea of, well, just as this man was under demonic oppression, you, you too are under demonic oppression, and even Satan himself was keeping you know, Jesus from crossing over the the. the the lake to, in this storm. So it's like, no, it's a false narrative. Mm-hmm. It's a false narrative. All right, so we just we just talked about the natural elements, but he's now going to basically amp up the crowd. And this is one of those things we wanted to point out, but he's going to show his pride, literally in the name of his sermon. He's going to demonstrate the fact that, you know, all he's here to do is really to just puff up the, the people listening. But again, this goes into that whole false narrative. He's building this false narrative now to preach a message. So with that, th- this whole section now just speaks for itself. We're going to let it play because it's so... Yeah, it's gross. Like, it's, it's, so it's just good. This moment today, touch somebody say, you must be important because in spite of all the storms that had your name on them, in spite of all the winds and the waves and the hurricane forces, in spite of every attack, look at you in church. Look at you clapping. Look at you taking notes. Look at you praising God. Look at you believing for a brighter day. Look how you made it. You must be important. You survived. You know how I know you're important? It takes boldness to call your sermon, you must be important. It takes boldness to call your sermon that, but I know it, not because of the car you drive, not because of the house you live in, not because I looked up how many Instagram followers you have. I know you're important because of your storm. See, the size of your storm tells me something about your importance. The size of your storm lets me know the importance 
of your assignment. The devil doesn't start a storm for somebody who he's not threatened by. If you're going through a storm, there's something so big on the other side. And if you... High five three people say you must be important. Because that big bad devil's been huffing and puffing and he thought he would blow your house down. But the trial just served to prove your foundation. Come on, my house is on the rock. I can't. There's literally people jumping up and down with their hands up in the air at this. This is... This is what's so concerning about this. People are actually actually getting something off of this completely false narrative that is not true, even in the slightest. You're not important. The reason why Jesus went across this it was not for you. This has nothing to do with you. Nothing. Like, literally, this is a section where he was showing his own pride. You, you know, heard him. He, he repeats it twice. The boldness of calling his sermon, you must be important. I would call that foolishness, certainly. Yeah, um, extremely foolish. But again, that's that, that is so dangerous. And I, I even mentioned in the first uh, in our first episode that this man must battle with pride. After hearing that, I can, mm -hmm. I mean, absolutely, absolutely. There's no excuse for that. And yet, again, just as Brandon said, this is a false narrative that he is now building up to preach. And these people are so caught up in it. And you heard the music. You heard, and, and I'm pretty sure even the lights are flashing behind oh, yeah. him to give this ambiance of just, oh, this must be the presence of God in this place. And that's what these people are led to believe. And so when you hear these things, and a lot of people, I mean, again, it, it, the comments just rip my heart out. They, they, oh, I needed to hear this. This was amazing. This is, you know, he, he's such a great preacher. No. No, read your Bible. Christ is an amazing savior. This man is a fool. But we're going to continue. So as we go on, he's again, he's going to continue with this storm narrative. Uh, he talks about, you know, 23, 34, about the Bible says the storm came up suddenly. So again, that's how he, he tries to prove that, well, this, this must have been demonic because it's when Jesus started in the direction of the man. Um, he talks about, again, the whole value of you because... You know, Satan wouldn't throw up the storm uh, if you weren't invaluable. Uh, he he gives, you know, he even talks about playing in game seven at one point. Like, well, they would never pass him the ball because he's not valuable. So why would Satan throw up a storm if this man wasn't valuable? Why, you know, you wouldn't go through storms in your life if you're not valuable. And it's like, hold on. I can think of several people, even in the Bible, that went through storms and Paul didn't come out through it. <laughs> well, well, even that, just, I mean, I know Judas is certainly an exception, but clearly he went through a storm, if you're going to use the same analogy. Mm -hmm. uh, Simon the magician in Acts. Oh, yeah. Right? You know, he sees all these great things, and then basically mm -hmm. Peter rebukes him because he wants the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. to, to sell, essentially, mm -hmm. this magic. Uh, what? You're going to use the same analogy? So you can't even fit that same narrative with other characters in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like this, and he's going to continue on. Uh, okay. So when you get down to about 2447, again, he's going to continue with his year. I know you're important. But now he's going to change the focus yet again. So, again, we're, we're the disciples going through the storm. Uh, he was going to say how we're the pigs. But he even says at 2451, 
look here, look, when I prepared this message, I was like, everybody won't get this message because they will do this thing when I get to this man called Legion. And I say he was living among the tombs and cutting himself with stones. They would disassociate themselves and say, well, I got some problems, but I'm not that bad. And when he says my name is Legion, they will back up off of him and they'll disassociate with the text and say, well, I'm like the disciples going through a storm, but I'm not the man called Legion. And he's really going to turn us on. And in fact, he goes, really? Are, are you so sure? Because it said he lived among the tombs. So you don't go to dead places? It's like, what? Okay, so again, he's analogizing <laughs> analogous to tombs. To dead, like, uh, do they realize they're in a dead place? There's a talent like, to doing this, I think. Um, and then he's going to literally spin this to now even he and all of the listeners are now this demonic possessed man. And also legion. To make a point in his preaching, this whole we're not we're not even the one making this up, right? So he leads all that into this point where he gets to minute twenty six, and so we're gonna play this just to show the absurdity of it. And I was like Jesus, and who do I need to go help? The more I studied it, I thought maybe there's some legion in me. I don't mean demonic possession, but I do mean oppression. I've got my own chains. I'll tell you the greatest secret God ever showed me about you. Yes, you. He told me that all y'all are crazy. <laughs> true, true story. So again, you just heard him literally declare he's got a little bit of legion in himself. And then he throws in that there, like, not demon possession. Right. Yeah, no, no, not demon possession. But again, to make his own point, to keep his narrative, not the one that the Bible's actually teaching, but for this whole message that he's been building up, oh, he, even he's got a little bit of legion. He so, literally said that. Yeah. Like, that we're not even picking this apart or picking on him. He literally said this. This is, this is dangerous doctrines, you guys. Seriously, even, even you wouldn't, it sounds innocent. You know, it sounds good. People are up clapping. They're saying amen, praise God. So everybody's under this real comfort that what he's saying is actually the truth. But then he literally just said, well, I've got a little bit of legion in me. That, that's not an example that you may like, that's, that's a horrible example. And, and uh, I, I don't know. I think we're, uh, we're about halfway through on this one. All right. So we're going to go ahead and do this sermon in two parts, because I think there's a, there's plenty enough here that he continues to go on to say, and we'll go ahead and wrap the whole thing up again, but we'll go ahead and leave that there, and we will be back again with uh, part two.